If you have your Bibles with you, please ask that you would turn with me now to the passage that Eddie read a moment ago, Psalm 32. Psalm 32. We're going to be continuing in the, the, the short series that we began last week going through what are known the, the penitential psalms. Uh, remember, the reason why they're called penitential psalms is because within the psalm, the author is bringing up uh, confession of sin, asking for deliverance of sin. You know, it has that theme going through it, and that's why it's called penitential psalm. A penitential psalm. Again, you can hear the word uh, repentance or penitence in that word. So that's what we're going through. And last week, you'll remember that we looked at Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 was more of an example of a prayer that you would pray immediately after you have committed sin before God and you are going to Him asking for His mercy and seeking to repent of your sin. We looked at that prayer that David gave. We broke it down into the, the five parts there and we, we looked through it. Well, this morning we're going to look at Psalm 32. And Psalm 32 is a psalm that's closely connected to Psalm 51. It's also written by David, which you can see in the heading there above verse 1. It's also written by David, but it's not a prayer that you would necessarily pray right after you have committed sin against God like Psalm 51 was. As we're going to see going through it, Psalm 32 has more of a meditation process to it. A prayer that you would pray to God maybe a while, like a good period of time has passed after you have committed sin against God. You've prayed that initial prayer and now you are thinking about the forgiveness that He has given to you and this is what your prayer would look like. So that's the kind of the feel, the, the theme that this psalm has going through it. So remember the background that we saw in Psalm 51. You remember David had committed sin with Bathsheba, had committed adultery with her, and then murdered her husband Uriah, and then tried to cover it up. Well, it didn't work because God sold the whole thing. He told Nathan to go to David and confront him about his sin, and he did. And then Psalm 51 was a result of that, him praying that prayer. Well, then we also know that God did forgive David. He forgave David of his sins, even though it was incredibly great. I mean, adultery, murder, deceit, cover up, all of those things God forgave his sin. And so this prayer, it seems, is devoted to meditating on the forgiveness that he had received from God. So keep that in mind as we go through Psalm 32. And you can kind of see the little bit of a flow that we have going here. So Psalm 51 was a prayer directly after you commit sin. Psalm 32 is kind of meditating on the forgiveness that you have 
been given by God. And the next week we'll look at Psalm 130, which has that waiting theme to it. So let's read the psalm together, beginning in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach Him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all you upright in heart. Father, we come before you again as we are gathered together. Now as we have your word opened before us and we ask that you would again come and fill us with your spirit. You would open our eyes, you would open our ears and you would enable our hearts to receive your word with with joy as we walk through it together. Father, we are so thankful that through Christ and through the gospel, we can be forgiven of our sin, which is just as great as David's sin long ago. No, we may not have committed murder. We may not have committed adultery. But all sin is great compared to your your holiness, your righteousness, Lord, who you are. It is all worthy of death and an infinite punishment. But we are thankful that through Christ we can receive your forgiveness and your favor and your pleasure. Be with us, O Lord, as we go through Psalm 32. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So Psalm 32 can be broken down into two major parts. Uh, The first part is in verses 1 to 5. You can think of verses 1 to 5 being the part that's filled with doctrine. So you can call it the doctrine part of the psalm. It's in verses 1 to 5 that David is uh, laying out his main principle before us. You know, he's in verses 1 to 5, it's where he's mainly giving information to us to soak in in our minds. So verses 1 to 5, you can think of it as the the doctrine part of the psalm. And then in verses 6 all the way down to verse 11, you can think of that as the application part of the psalm. Because you can see, and I'm going to hammer in on this again as we go through it in verse 6, it starts with, Therefore. 
So everything that he says in verses 1 to 5, he then gets to verse 6 and says, Therefore, considering everything in those verses, you then do this or live like this. And so it's called the, the application part of the psalm. So that's how we're going to break it down in those two main parts. So let's begin walking through them together. And in verses 1 and 2, we, we see the main theme of the psalm. So in verses 1 and 2, David lays out the theme that he's trying to get across to us, the, the main thing that he wants us to really understand, to see, to digest, is in verses 1 and 2. And you can see it there with the word blessed. Because verses 1 and 2 both start with the word blessed. So he wants you to understand that somebody or some person he has in mind is blessed. So who is it? He says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Again, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So that's the theme right there. The blessed person or the truly happy person is who? The forgiven person. That's who the blessed person is. And I want you to notice, as he's laying out the theme here, and this is mainly just to, to help us appreciate the beauty of the Psalms, notice what he does here. So he says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. So he uses transgression to describe a part of sin. And then after he says transgression, he says forgiven. So you have a description of sin, and then you have a description of how God forgives us or gives forgiveness. So you have transgression, which is a word that means crossing a boundary or a line. You know, God has laid His law before us and we have willfully stepped over it. We have committed transgression. So that's what that's getting across there. But blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. And then again, whose sin, which is just a general word used for disobedience, wrongdoing against God, of course, and then he uses the word covered. God not only forgives sin, transgression, but He covers it where you can't see it anymore. It's covered. And then the third pair, he says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Iniquity, it has multiple meanings. But when you get down into the root of the word, iniquity refers more to guilt. We have a guilt about us. We are sinners and we stand guilty before God. But look what God does for the person who is blessed. He doesn't count it against us. He does not count our iniquity against us. 
So He forgives transgression, He covers sin, and He does not count iniquity against the blessed person, the blessed man, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So I just wanted to point that out to you because remember that the Psalms are something to be delighted in. I mean, this is David here very poetically putting this before us. I mean, he doesn't have to say it that way. Remember that. He can just say, you know what, it's a very good thing if God forgives your sin. You need to remember that. He could just say it, you know, very plain, cut and dry, but he puts it in delightful words for us to just soak in and to rejoice in as we read. I mean, the Word of God is a pleasant thing to read. It's not just words on a page, like you're sitting in a history class and you're just digesting these words because they're important. And I don't mean to talk bad about history, because I like history, but you just you get my point, what I'm saying. This is something delightful to read. So there in verses 1 to 2, you have the theme. And then in verses 3 to 5, you have David talking about an experience that he has had with this theme that undergirds it. So look what he says there. He says, For when I kept silent, talking about his experience, thinking back to Psalm 51, you know, where he committed that sin. For when I kept silent, when he did not acknowledge his sin before God, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Why? For day and night your hand, speaking of God, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So the blessed person is the forgiven person. But now David jumps into this experience describing that at one point he was not there because of his sin and the fact that he was silent about it. You know, he, remember he was trying to cover it up. He didn't want anybody to see it, not even God. He didn't want God to see it. Of course he did. But what was the result of him keeping silent? God put His gracious heavy hand upon David so that he just wouldn't feel bad but so that he could be brought to a place where he would confess his sin before God. So this is actually a gracious thing happening to David in verses 3 and 4. Although he feels horrible, I mean, he says, my bones wasted away. That's not a pleasant feeling. I mean, your bones wasting away, groaning all day long, day and night your hand being heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. That's not something that's pleasant. But God's goal in doing this to David is what we see in verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's the goal. God forgave his sin. Because God had put him in a place so that he could really feel the weight of what he had just done. And notice again, pointing once again to the, the poeticness of what David is doing here, the three words that David used to describe sin 
and verses 1 and 2 are here in verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Some more parallelism going on there. But the point there is that David, who was once hiding his sin from God, was brought to a place to feel the weight of his sin and realize that he needed to bring it before God. And when he did, God forgave him. He forgave his transgression. He covered his sin and he did not count his iniquity against him. So you can see David's experience undergirding the theme there in verses 1 and 2. And then we come to verse 6. Moving now to the, to the application part of the psalm. So, and it starts with, therefore, or because, or so. Because of what I have just told you in verses 1 to 5, that the blessed man is the forgiven man, or the blessed person is the forgiven person, and I have had ex- an experience that just furthers the truth of that. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Because that is true, and because I have experienced it, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you when you may be found. Do you notice that he says, therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer? Not just the person who doesn't know God, but the person who does know God, like David. David was a godly man when he committed that sin with Bathsheba and murdered his her husband, and tried to cover it up. He was a godly man. He was a, you know, to use the term we use today, a a Christian. But the point here is that, as I was saying last week, repentance, confession of sin, asking for deliverance, is not something that you just do one time when you are converted to Christianity, but it's something that is ongoing throughout the life of Christianity, constantly, continuously bringing our sin before God, asking that He forgive our transgression, cover our iniquity, or excuse me, not count our iniquity and and cover our sin. But what's this at a time when you may be found, Langlands? What does he mean there? Well, I believe what he's talking about there is Judgment, God's judgment, because you know God is not always going to be as gracious as He is now to the world. I mean, now He, he freely he freely <laughs> offers His grace, doesn't He? I mean, the Lord Jesus says, All who are weary, come to Me and I will give you rest. That, that call goes, it rings out to all nations. But one day, it won't ring out anymore. And I think that's what David is saying here. Offer prayer to Him at a time when you may be found. 
And as far as the godly go, yes, we've already come to know Christ and we've already received the blessing of forgiveness in Him. But we too do not need to be, as we're going to see in a little bit in verses 8 and 9, we don't need to be a stubborn people who just try to put off confession. Oh, I'll confess a little bit later. I'll confess a little bit later. You know, I'll just keep putting it off. So I think that is what's going on there. And he gives two reasons in the second part of verse 6 and verse 7 that again just undergirds what he says at the first part of verse 6 where he says, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you. So the first reason in the first in the second part of verse 6 is surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. And I think this that goes hand in hand what he's talking about when you may be found. God's judgment. A rush of great waters. So you think about you have this uh, great river that's just rushing before you and God's on the other side and you've waited now. You think you're going to make it across? No. You know, it, it will sweep you away. So I, I believe that it's just kind of putting a picture to words there where he says, Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. And then the second reason in verse 7 is, You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So offer your prayer to God, one, because one day He will no longer accept them, and two, for the person who does do this, He's a hiding place for them. He preserves them. He surrounds them. He is delighted to receive you in your prayers of confession, bringing your sin before God, asking for forgiveness. He surrounds you with shouts of deliverance. It's hard to picture God being like that when we come to Him confessing our sin. You know, we don't think of God just being prepared to hide you, to preserve you, and then to surround you with with shouts of deliverance. I mean, God is seriously delighted when His children come to Him confessing their sin before Him, asking for His forgiveness, whether it's one time or a thousand times. So those are the two reasons that He gives there. And then when we come to verses 8 and 9, it's almost like God himself takes the pen from David and writes the, these two verses himself, which is not completely strange to the Psalms. And remember, David was not only a king, but he was a prophet. And so when you read some of David's Psalms, it's not a strange thing to just see as if almost God took the pen from David and writes these verses from his own hand, as it were. So in verses 8 and 9, he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So God is going to instruct His people. He's going to teach them in the way they should go. He's going to counsel them with His eye upon you. And then what is that instruction? What is that teaching? What is that counsel? We see it in verse 9. Be not 
Be not, so you don't want to be like what's about to follow, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding. You know, we often joke about mules and how they are without understanding. Well, again, putting a picture with words here. You don't want to be like that. You don't want to be like the stubborn mule in the field. That in order to make the thing listen to you, you have to put a bit and a bridle on them and yank them or pull them with you. God is saying, don't be like that. And it goes back to, you know, offer a prayer, offer prayer to God at a time when you may be found. Don't be stubborn. Don't put this off. Don't be a person who just waits and waits and waits and you know, eventually this never comes before God in confession. Because if you are like that, then not to be rude, but just going with the picture that's put here, you are stubborn as a mule. I mean, why would you not bring your sins before God if He delights when you do? And then in verses 10 and 11 we have David's concluding words in the psalm where he says, and often the concluding words of the psalm kind of, they summarize some of the things that we've just been looking at in the previous verses. That's what's happening here. He says, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Many are the sorrows of the wicked the person who is not like we, who is not like what we just looked at the instruction that we've been given the the application that we've been called to live out the person who is not like that the person who is not blessed not forgiven is the person who has many sorrows but need to circle that. But steadfast love, again, it surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. If you are a Christian, you are surrounded by the steadfast love of God. And then in verse 11, David closes and he says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now what's all this? Be glad business, rejoice business, shout for joy business. I mean, what are you so happy about? What is the cause for all of this joy? Why should we be so happy? Why should we be so joyful? It's because you have been forgiven in Christ. I want you to consider these passages that I'm about to read. The first one comes from Romans chapter 3, verses 23 to 25. Have verse 11 in mind as we read these verses. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, 
whom God put forward as a propitiation, which is just a, a, a sacrifice that appeases something, and in this case it is God's wrath. So whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You are justified. You are forgiven in Christ in the fact that He was a propitiation on your behalf. The next one comes from Romans chapter 5. Verses 6 to 11. For while we were weak, still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And then the last passage comes from Romans chapter 8, Verse 1. There is therefore, that therefore talks about all the accomplishments in Christ that Paul has just laid out in chapters 1 to 7. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Not one area of grounds to be condemned before God. It's been wiped clean. It's been taken away. So for that reason, you are the person of verses 1 and 2. Because of Christ... If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, that's who you are. You are the blessed person. You are the truly happy person because you have truly been forgiven by God. And because of that, you can, like David says in verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. That is the cause for joy. That is the cause for rejoicing. That is the cause for shouting for joy. So may we, Alts Chapel, remember that on the hard days and the easy days, when we are downcast, May you preach things like this to yourself, to your own heart. You are forgiven. May we remember it. May we remember it well. Our Father in heaven, we come.
And as we've been looking in Psalm 32, oh, we thank you that we are the people, the person of verses 1 and 2. The forgiven person, the forgiven people, the truly happy people because our sins have been washed away. I think about uh, the hymn, Jesus Paid It All. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.